that work? There it is. All right. Good morning. Um, so like Nate said, we are in the middle of a series about our family values here at Genesis. And I think this morning I maybe get to teach you guys about the king of the values, which is hearing and doing. And the reason I say that is because when you are able to hear from God and respond, it makes those other values not feel quite so scary or intense. Um, now, one thing you might not know about me and my history is I am a former camp director. I'm also a former youth pastor. And as a warning, when you invite a former camp director and a former youth pastor to the stage, they might show up with a tarp, some blindfolds, and some raw eggs, and some forced volunteers. So we're gonna set something up here in the middle aisle. <laughs> and if my not so subtly invited volunteers could come up and join me here. <laughs> yeah, give them a round of applause. They didn't know what they were getting into this morning. <laughs> All right, so Chris and Jody, you're married. How long have you been married? 16 years. 16 years, so you have listened to each other's words for a really long, how long have you known each other? 20? 20 years, so you've, you've, you know what each other's voices sound like, right? Okay, which of you is feeling braver this morning? That's, that's, <laughs> all right, so. <laughs> Chris, I'm gonna have you go to the, carefully to that end of the tarp, all right? And you can leave your shoes on or you can take them off. <laughs> and I'm gonna have you wear this really awesome hot pink blindfold. All right. And Jody, you're gonna come and stand on this end of the tarp. And your job is with just your words to direct Chris from that end of the tarp to this end of the tarp. And for those of you who can't see, this tarp is now covered in raw eggs and soaked sponges. So it's not something that, <laughs> that Chris is gonna want to step on. And so we're gonna be real quiet and let Jody direct Chris six feet. Do we have to go around still? He should go around it. Try to not have him, no, don't spin him. <laughs> Try to have him not step on any of the things. Okay, two steps forward. Your big step. Okay, go to your left. A little further. Go forward. <laughs> Keep going forward. He's good so far, he hasn't stepped on anything. He's taking itty bitty little, <laughs> itty bitty little steps. Uh, turn to your right. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Go straight, I missed that one by your toes. Yep, yep, keep going straight. Yeah, lift your feet up higher than that. <laughs> up and over, yeah. Oh yeah, one more like that, yeah. Okay, now turn to the left. Something's wet. I know. <laughs> All right, good job, good job, good job. Okay, 
Chris, I'm going to have you go back to the start. You get to do this one more time. Okay? We're going to do it one more time, only this time, everybody, I'm going to need your help. So when I say go, I need all of you to make as much noise as possible. And Jody, your job remains the same. With just your voice, you need to guide Chris to this end of the tarp. Okay? Just do what you did last time. <laughs> Remember all those steps? Okay, so again, everybody out here, loud as you can. If you don't want to yell, just start clapping. All right, and then Jody, with just your voice, you get to direct Chris. All right, go. <laughs> One sponge got stepped on and one egg was narrowly avoided. But can you, guys, give them one more round of applause. Now, I love this exercise. I've used it before, usually with middle school students. Um, but the thing that I really love about it is that I think it is a good depiction of what our expectations is versus what the reality is of listening to God's voice, right? That the, we expect it to all be quiet, that it is easy to follow those directions, turn right, turn left, take a big step, do this, do this, and you'll get through whatever it is cleanly, right? But I think the reality is it's a lot more like the second round, where it's maybe a little bit harder to hear what God's voice is. And what I love about how Chris and Jody did it is the first time when it was quiet, when it was easy, Chris was way more tentative. He didn't take big steps. He shuffled the speed along. And the second time, even though Jay threw down more eggs in front of him, he was way more confident. He had to just boldly go where Jody was telling him to go. And so we are going to dive in a little bit this morning. We're going to reflect on one of my favorite stories from the Bible of hearing God's voice, um, and that is when uh, God and Moses were having a conversation. But before we do that, if you are able, go ahead and stand up, and we're going to read the value of hearing and doing together. If we, if we have it. All right, hearing and doing at the heart of following Jesus is hearing his words and then acting on them. We believe that it is our birthright to hear from our good father and that life is more adventurous and robust when we say yes and respond to what we hear. All right, you may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting here and I was listening to Bo teach about being sent as missionaries, being sent as priests. And one word out of that whole talk seemed to be louder to me than the others, and that was the word experiences. And sometimes words will stick around in my brain, so it's been bouncing around in there for a while. As a culture, we value experiences. We share experiences on social media, we tell stories around the table, we and when we tell the stories of our lives, our stories are made up of our experiences. So here are just maybe a few of my experiences 
of the past year. I have been able to travel and visit friends that I don't see very often. I've been able to travel with family. I have run some pretty big races. I even won a race, which is weird at my age. Um, I have had these epic parenting wins, like I'm officially out of diapers at my house. That's pretty big. Um, and I've had some pretty epic parenting fails. I have tried to be more bold as uh, I've encountered people in the world who maybe are doing injustices or being unkind or things like that. And so on and so on. These are my experiences from the last 12 months. And if you were to take stock and to look back on the past year, you would also have your own list of experiences. Whatever those might be, they're probably a little different than mine. But what if, looking over the past year, we narrowed our view, narrowed our reflection to the experience of hearing God and doing what he says? How does that change the list? Can you think of one? Can you think of two? Can you think of none? It can be a tricky exercise because maybe we don't value hearing from God and responding like the others, or maybe we aren't documenting it, or maybe, and this would probably be more where I would fall, in retrospect, I doubt they happened. I attribute it to other things. I tell the story, but I maybe leave out the part where I feel like God told me to do that. And so I love the story about God and Moses and their 40 years of relationship. And so we're going to look at that story and maybe pull out some truths that we can learn from as we learn from the experiences of those who've gone before us. So I never like to assume that everybody in here knows the entirety of the Bible. None of us do that I, that I know of that are in here. But um, here is a brief background of Moses. So God had his chosen people the Israelites, and they had moved to Egypt in order to escape a famine. While there, they flourished, they grew in number and strength and power, and the head of Egypt, Pharaoh, was afraid of the growing number of these immigrants who had a different belief system than he did. And so he decided to make the Israelites his slaves and to cut down on the Israelites' power even more, there was a new law that demanded that all baby boys of the Israelites be killed. Now, during the time that this law was in place, that's the time that Moses was born. And his mother kept his birth hidden until she couldn't. And so she put him in a basket and sent him down the Nile River. And he ended up floating right into the arms of Pharaoh's daughter who decided to keep him and raise him as her son. And, so she, and she hired Moses' mother to care for him in his infancy. So Moses grew up, he was an adopted prince in Egypt, part of the royal family, and at some point in his young adulthood, he loses his temper and kills an Egyptian guard who was tormenting a Hebrew slave. He gets really afraid for his life and he runs away. He leaves Egypt entirely. He goes to the land of Midian. He meets a nice girl. They get married. He raises some nice sheep. And he lives and works far away from his history. And that's where God finds him. 
in the desert, in the wilderness, caring for some sheep, God and Moses have a conversation. So we're going to jump into the story there in Exodus 3. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of the bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. In just those couple of paragraphs, there was a couple of things that stood out to me. The first is that God met Moses where he was. He got Moses' attention. A burning bush is what worked for Moses. What works for you? Have you noticed God getting your attention? Have you wondered about an amazing sight or amazing coincidence? In the treehouse, I think when they covered the same topic, I think they called it moments that make you go, hmm. And have you prayed that God asked God if he's speaking to you? Now, you all have heard the announcement for weeks now that Kirk Martin is coming in November. He's doing the Celebrate Calm parenting event, and I'm super excited. I think you all should sign up. I have heard him. He's amazing. Um, And I was sitting in one of his sessions at a retreat last January, and he was talking about his best advice when your kids won't listen, and that is to do the unexpected. He told this story where one of the kids in his home, who was a teenager, was having a meltdown and was unable to handle his big emotions. And so instead of yelling or trying to talk him out of it, Kirk just dropped to the ground and started doing push-ups. It made the kid pause. It shook him out of whatever was in his own brain and asked, what are you doing? The push-ups got the kid's attention and the conversation started. Now, did the push-ups work again? Probably not. Would a burning bush work again? Who knows? Throughout history, God has used all sorts of techniques to get his people's attention. He has used angels, donkeys, dreams, nature, chance meetings, and more. Which ones is he using on you? Continuing with Moses' story, God makes it clear that he is working in Egypt. He has big plans for his people there. They are his people, and he is going to bring them back. And God invites Moses to join him. And picking the story back up in verse 11, says, but Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. God doesn't ask us to go where he isn't already working. 
God doesn't ask us to do and then not come along. When it's recorded that God speaks to his people, I think every time in the Bible, but I could be wrong, but when God directs his people, it almost always includes the phrase, and I will be with you. He said it to Moses. He said it to Joshua, Moses' successor. He said it to Jeremiah. He said it to Daniel. And at the end of his time on earth, Jesus said it to his disciples. And he wanted them to pass that message on to you. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus is saying, look, I myself will be with you until the end of this present age. And so I'll say it one more time. God doesn't ask you to do anything that he won't be in and he won't ask you to go anywhere that he isn't already working. Now at this point in the story, Moses is talking to God in the wilderness and God is talking back. Moses is talking to God and God is talking back one would think that would be enough to convince him to go and do what God asks. But is Moses automatically on board? No. Next thing Moses wants to know from God is what happens if he goes and people want to know who sent him. And in verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am the eternal God. So tell them that the Lord, whose name is I am, has sent you. This is my name forever, and it is the name that people must use from now on. God goes on to give Moses specific steps to take, and God even explains that it won't be easy. And what God asks of us rarely is, but that the new Pharaoh is gonna let his, not going to let his free workforce just walk out on him. God promises strength and power to Moses, and how does Moses respond? And Exodus 4 verse 1, suppose everyone listens to my message, but no one really believes that you appeared to me. Suppose everyone refuses to listen to my message and no one believes that you really appeared to me. How relatable is that question? I think Moses has been reading my journal. Like sometimes when God speaks, I am afraid to act because I'm afraid of what other people might think. Sometimes when God speaks, I'm afraid to tell people about it because I don't know if they're going to believe me. I'm afraid of that rejection. And so I get where Moses is coming from here. But what's so comforting in this story is that God responds to Moses with so much grace. Instead of responding in frustration, God gives Moses tricks, tips, miracles to go perform, to show the world that God is with them. Stick your hand in your coat, pull it back out, and it's going to be covered in sickness. Stick it back in again, and it will be healed. That was one miracle that God gave him. Throw your staff on the ground. It's going to become a snake. Grab the tail. It's going to be a staff again. That was another. But more than convincing others, I think these miracles were just reminders to Moses about God's power. Because the reality is, they didn't work. He did them. That part worked. But it convinced no one that God was who he said he was. It wasn't until God stepped in with the plagues that that's when it happened. 
Where in your life are you witnessing God's power? Is it for your benefit or is it for others? Does it remind you of who you are and what God has planned for you? I was reminded of this time in my life. <clears throat> I was in my, finishing my junior year of college and I felt like God had told me to transfer schools. It's an intimidating ask for somebody who's already put three years of work in. And so I argued with God about it. <clears throat> sure, God, I'll apply to some other schools, but if you really want me to move, I'm gonna need a few things. <clears throat> I'm heading into my senior year, and so I'm going to need all my credits to transfer. I need a place to live that's not a dorm, because I'm over that, and I would like some friends to live with. And I'm gonna need some money, because the school that I was going to, the tuition was fully covered. So I sat back, and I waited. And I applied to a bunch of schools in Michigan, and I threw in an application to the University of Nebraska because I had some really good friends who went there and one who really wanted me to apply. And one by one, the schools in Michigan dropped off. This one wouldn't take my credits. Uh, that one could give me zero dollars in financial aid. This other one had no housing. This other one, I knew no one who went there. And I started to doubt that I had heard from God clearly. Maybe this move wasn't for me. Then Nebraska, they called. Sure, we'll happily take all of your credits as they are. And absolutely, we'd love to give you $10,000 a year to come here. And the final piece, a friend called me a few weeks before the semester was going to start and was like, hey, Liz, so my roommate just decided to move to Australia like next week. Would you like to come out here and live with me? And so six weeks later, I was driving across the country with a car full of things, not knowing what was waiting for me there, but confident and reassured that God had spoken as I was expected to move. And that move changed the course of my life entirely, down to who I married, what countries I've lived in, who my kids are, and what work I've done. Now, should I have responded to God without the extra affirmation, yes. But was God turned off by my request? Nope. Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples on earth, he encouraged them in this area of listening and responding. Which I find so interesting, because Jesus' disciples, they were movers, they were doers. The first conversation Jesus ever has with them is, hey, drop your nets and follow me. And they dropped their nets and they followed him. No hesitation, no reassurance needed. But as they followed him more, they heard him more, he asked of them more, they became a little more uncertain about what Jesus was asking from them. And so Jesus reminds them of their place and their identity as his kids during the time on earth. And in John 10, it says this, my sheep respond as they hear my voice. I know them intimately and they follow me. I give them a life that is unceasing and death will not have the last word. Nothing or no one can steal them from my hand. My father has given the flock to me and he is superior to all beings and all things. 
No one is powerful enough to snatch the flock from my father's hand. The father and I are one. God can handle your doubts. He is not discouraged by them. He is not turned off by them. It is okay. You can ask for clarity. You can ask for affirmations of who God says you are. But in the end, hearing from God must be followed by action. The voice of God deserves a response. And ultimately, that's what happened with Moses. He went back and forth and back and forth with God, claiming he couldn't be the voice of this mission that God was asking him for, that no one would listen. And the only time that it's written that God got angry was when it was clear that Moses was out of excuses. He knew what God was asking of him to do, and Moses asked God to send someone else. Now, could someone else have done it? Sure. Could God have rescued his people without Moses? Absolutely. But God wanted this for Moses. God had redeemed the life of a baby who was sent down a river to live or die. He had placed him in a royal family so he could return to Egypt and have an audience with the Pharaoh. The things Moses was hearing from God fit his context. And his God-given destiny was in line with 